0: Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences.
1: Here's your host, Max Cantor. everybody and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host Max Cantor and today I'm very excited because I'm in a very cool house. It's very, it's a very nice place that I'm in. I'm very sorry you can't see it but I, <laughs> I can see it. It's very nice. Uh, I'm with a person today who is an actress. She's an improviser. She's a teacher. She's a coach. She performs all around Atlanta with so many different groups and I'm just I'm very excited to talk to her. We've already spent the last what like 15 minutes 15 already talking minutes? pre-interview. Yeah. Pre-interview, so please welcome to the show Jessica Young. Jessica, welcome to the show.
0: Hello! I'm super happy to be here. I'm
1: excited to talk to you. I mean, I feel like we've already done practically half an interview. Oh, I know. We've had had a nice little chat
0: so far waiting for the heat to turn off in our pre-15 degree weather.
1: It's true. But you know what? I'm excited to talk to you just to learn all about, you know, how you got to where you are today and then just kind of like pick your brain at comedy and improv. Uh, But to start off, just to hit the ground running, uh, growing up What late-night television influenced you and your comedy?
0: Well, um, this might break your heart a little bit, but um, I grew up in Washington State, kind of out in the Columbia River Gorge, middle of nowhere, and we didn't get cable. We were so far out that we didn't actually have TV. Oh! And it was before, um, now, now you can get, like, you know, satellite TV and stuff, but at that time... Doing it was really expensive, so we would only get television during the Olympics. (laughs) So I didn't get to watch a lot of late night TV, but my mom did have VHSs of the Carol Burnett show. Okay. So if we're talking late night TV influences, Carol Burnett was a huge influence for me.
1: Wow. I just – I can't believe you only watch TV like every two years for the Olympics. I know. We
0: literally would watch TV about every two years. We got to see like gargoyles and like all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of stuff we watched was reruns on TV Land, that kind of stuff. Wow. Other than that, it was just VHSs that we had around. And one of the only ones we had was – the Carol Burnett show. Right. And so I ended up growing up comedy wise seeing a lot of women doing stuff. It kind ah. of it kind of never occurred to me that it was a mostly male dominated profession until I got into college mm. and started watching stuff on my own and realized the landscape was mostly male. Before that, I hadn't I'd been in a bubble of my own <laughs> ignorance.
1: Wow. Yeah. So what what did you like about the Carol Burnett show? What attracted you to it?
0: Oh man. Uh I loved the fact that i'm someone that's really drawn to vocal and physical comedy Uh. and um she she gave spots for women on her show and for herself to do anything they could look pretty if they felt like it they could look ridiculous if they felt like it they could make themselves look like idiots they could be the butt of a joke and then turn around and be gorgeous Uh and then turn around and be ridiculous they weren't Pigeonholed in the way that a lot of women are pigeonholed in comedy. And I just admired the fact that they could write jokes. (laughs) They could write jokes about. Clothing, they could write jokes about themselves, they could write jokes about life, and they got to play every single thing that they wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't the they weren't the female butt of a joke at the end of someone else's sketch. Mm-hmm. They were the centerpiece of their own sketches. Right. I really enjoyed that.
1: So, as you're watching this, you're watching, you know, Carol Burnett, and she is, you know, making the decisions for herself to do whatever she wants. She's very confident in herself. Did you start applying that to your life so you felt your confidence... And yourself rise up because you watched her do it.
0: Well, it's funny. I had I had that rise up a lot in high school, and then I didn't know improv existed until I got to college. Mm. Um, I had I had a night where I was super bored, and I'd finished all the comic books I was reading and had nothing to do, and a friend invited me to an open improv rehearsal. Okay. So I went to Western Washington University, and their uh, group is the Dead Parrot Society a marriage between the Dead Parrot Sketch and the Poets Society. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would have open rehearsals every Tuesday where they'd coach anyone that wanted to through improv exercises. That's very cool. It was awesome. It was a completely free improv education, and I went and fell in love with it, as Mm -hmm. people are wont to do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And... um, And the coolest thing I think about it, looking back, is the ensemble was 14 people and it was 50% female. And the entire time I was in the group in college, um, it was always 50% female. And so I, when I started improv in college and as I continued on with my education through college, there were always strong female influences for me. It wasn't until I got out of college into the professional world that things were mostly Mm male-dominated. I was always surrounded by strong strong females, strong females good at character work, good mm-hmm. at vocal work. Um, so I think in a way, it just kind of never occurred to me that you couldn't be all of those things.
1: Right. Which I think was really cool. Right. And I'm sure for you, uh, you never doubted yourself in any way when you're surrounded by that. Oh,
0: no. Not, not not until, you know, you move to New York and you look around and you go, oh. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, we do <laughs> not dominate the landscape. Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now how do I, you know... Um, but I think in a way that ignorance was good because mm-hmm. it meant that I got to develop in a forum that it didn't occur to me that I couldn't do the thing. Right. And I think a lot of people or at least a lot of the women that I know now when they were coming up through improv or comedy, their influence might have been a Carol Burnett, someone they didn't know. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be working with women, Dale Anderson, and Amalia Larson, who are all in Seattle now. Who I did get to work with and learn mm-hmm. from directly. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it heavily influenced my confidence level mm-hmm. for the longest time.
1: Yeah, I definitely. Um, so you said you got involved in improv in college. Mm-hmm. So when you were in like high school and middle school, besides watching the Carol Burnett show, mm-hmm. where were you getting your comedy from?
0: Well, <laughs> I didn't actually do comedy at all. I, oh. um, I was a huge bookworm and um, – And I did, I was a musician. I was in percussion ensemble in high school.
1: That is very cool. Yeah,
0: so I was in percussion ensemble. We went to state. We won. No big deal. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I did music. And it was both of my sisters that were super into theater. Um, My middle, I have two younger sisters, Caroline and Kelly. And both of them are breathtaking singers. They're both amazing singers. Caroline is amazing at the piano. They're both amazing dancers. Theater was always their thing. And they would do uh, theater stuff every summer. And then one summer before my junior year, I realized if I wanted to see them, if I wanted to hang out with them, I was going to have to do theater as well. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't see them for a whole summer. Mm -hmm. Well, as most people know, once you do a show, you typically get bit by the bug. Right. (laughs) So from then on, I was a theater kid. Uh, and then – and I loved comedy and I loved doing comedy, but I still – we didn't really do improv in high school. And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized improv was a thing uh-huh. and then fell in love with that. And here we
1: are. So that's right. It led to this moment <laughs> yeah, right now. Right now. It's all culminated
0: <laughs> in this moment. I'm at the top
1: of the hill. Yeah. Uh, what, what was your uh, major in college?
0: Um, well – I went into college uh, going to major in geology. I was going to be a geology teacher because as much as I loved theater, um, I didn't know anyone that was in film. I didn't know anyone that did theater professionally, and I didn't want to become the stereotype of the starving artist who hates their life but is always doing art. (laughs) Um, And so I fought it for about two years Uh uh, and then majored in theater. And I really credit improv to making me feel comfortable with being a professional artist. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think the, as improvisers know, it's incredibly rare to make money doing improv. Mm -hmm. Rarer than probably any other comedy art form. And so to do it, you really have to love it. It really has to be so deep in your bones that you're willing to do five or six shows a week, mm-hmm. no pay, that you're willing to teach for very little, that you're willing to coach for little to nothing. You really have to love it. Um, so I really credit improv with making that switch and getting me to major in theater. Mm-hmm.
1: So you switched to being a theater major. Mm-hmm. So when you switched to that, what, what's your ultimate goal in your head when you switched to being a theater major?
0: In college, i I don't think I had a goal so much as um, I remember a, a theater professor telling me at the beginning of college that um, you either needed to love theater or leave it. Like mm-hmm. either you, if you could see yourself doing something else, go do that other thing. Um, because I think theater arts and improv arts are something that you can't walk away from if it's if it's really what you're meant to be doing if it's really what lights your fire and really gets your soul going you can't walk away from it Uh and so i think my goal wasn't anything more than to just make art and see where that took me i didn't have a broadway goal i didn't at the time i wasn't doing film at all i never thought i would move to la i never thought i'd be in film um but i think when you follow the art and when you follow the influences that are around you and when you're continually trying new artistic things, I think you eventually get led to where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago, if you told me I'd be living in Atlanta, Georgia, doing film professionally and teaching and doing improv professionally, I would have left so hard. Okay. Orange juice would come out of my
1: nose. <laughs>
0: but, you know, but here we are.
1: Right, You know. right. It's just – I feel like too because you were surrounded by – I don't know because I, I, I'm very intrigued of how you grew up in this world where women <laughs> dominated and you only watched the Olympics. It <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it blows my mind. But I think it's it's cool to hear because it's like you never had someone – you never had a world where it was like you can't do this. It was always a world where it was like you can do this and you can be successful at whatever you do. And so how did that attitude – how did that carry you past college?
0: Um, I think I think in a way it was tough outside of college because I think a lot of people have the you can't do influences early on and mm-hmm. are able to get that, um, that grit or that term, determination or whatever it is that forces you to get up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get to have that younger and I did not. I think in a lot of ways I was very spoiled and sheltered from those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So, when I got out of college and when I moved to New York, I had all of those moments that you're supposed to have in high school and college if you can't do this kind of were all jammed into one year post college.
1: How'd that year go? Oh, it was
0: rough. It was
1: really rough.
0: It was so oh um, I mean, the move to New York was rough because it was, it was um, my personal life had kind of fallen apart and professionally I didn't know, wanna, didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew my middle sister was living in New York and I knew if I moved to Seattle near all of my friends, I would never change. I would never grow. And even though it terrified me, um, my mom's really good at noticing when we're making safe decisions and shoving us out of the nest. She's still very good at that. (laughs) Um, So I ended up in New York and it was a really rough year in a lot of ways, but I think it was one of the best learning experiences of my life because I met some of the most influential people I've ever known. I tried things I never thought I would try. Um, I ended up in places I never thought I'd go. And Look, Looking back at the time, it was awful, and I couldn't wait for it to be over, but looking back, it was one of the best edu- educational experiences I've ever had. UCB mm-hmm. in New York was incredibly welcoming. The Pitt Theater in New York, incredibly welcoming. I mean, the community as a whole is very welcoming, mm-hmm. so it was great.
1: So in New York, did you just do improv, or you also ventured into film?
0: Well, I actually still hadn't really touched film. I'd helped with a couple of film projects in college with friends, but at the time... Oh my gosh, my nose was so up in the air about film. Like you either did real theater or you weren't an actor. <laughs> like, and that very much came from my professors. We didn't really have people that did film in mm-hmm. Washington State. Um, so when I got to New York, I a good friend of mine was in grad school at NYU. He's a writer, Dan Erickson. For anyone listening, he's in LA right now. He's a brilliant writer. Watch out for him. Um, But he they would do a thing every couple months where they'd write monologues or they'd write scenes and then they'd need actors to come in and showcase them for their professors. So I ended up doing a lot of those for him and his friends in the program through that, doing other little theater pieces, um, getting involved with improv at UCB. And then at the pit, they would have open jams that you could come and do. And it was super educational because the style in New York was so different from the style in Washington State. So I learned a ton just by watching improv there. Mm-hmm.
1: It was great. So to go from like a college improv troupe to mm-hmm. like the Upright Citizens Brigade, that's a bit of a jump.
0: That's a bit of a jump. Uh,
1: <laughs> so when you got there, I mean – uh, and I don't know what you were like in college, but I'm assuming when you got there, you're like, yeah, I'm, I know improv. I oh, I'm great. I got this. They should
0: hire me right now. <laughs> right.
1: So was it kind of like a wake up call where you like, oh, man, like this is improv to another level?
0: Uh, it was a wake up call in the sense that uh, so the Dead Parrot Society do a lot of narrative improv. And one of the things I did, I'm assuming they still do this. But one of the things we did when I was in college was we challenged ourselves to create two new formats every Quarter? They were quarters? Yeah, they were quarters. Um, So every quarter, we would create two new narrative formats. And our shows would last anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. I mean, you were watching improvised plays. And then we would also do short form. So I was really narrative-centered in my brain. In my brain, seven people got up on stage and made a cohesive narrative format together. Or you did short form. UCB was a kick in the pants because... They didn't do narrative. That you can just have two interesting people talking on stage for 20 minutes. And that... I i was not good at that. I was not good at standing there and talking to one other person and making that interesting enough. So it was, it was a real kick in the pants for me to be forced to try a bunch of different styles mm-hmm. that I didn't think I could do. Mm-hmm. You know, I walk in going... And I think the same thing a lot of people do where you're like, I'm so good. I perform all the time. (laughs) Why don't these people hire me? And then, you know, you're watching people come in and guest from every TV show on the planet. And you're going, oh, oh, I don't even know what I need to do to get there. How (laughs) do I get there? What even is that? Uh So it was great. Watching shows. It's why I encourage students to watch as much improv as possible. Mm -hmm. Because taking a class... Is educational and wonderful and great, but watching people do improv, you can learn so much.
1: hmm Yeah. It's true. I mean, because in a way, you can learn from it. I, I, I've definitely experienced that. When you're watching a show and you're like, oh, that, you know, I like the way they do that. that is, I'm going to incorporate that, you know, like you can yeah. grow just by watching.
0: Oh, completely. Completely. And I think you also get the chance to see things that you are trying to learn in class applied in different ways, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. just getting to see different styles.
1: So you're in New York... Things are – I'm just tracking your life now. Things are rough. Uh, right. You have kind of a, a down year. Uh, but but then things uh, obviously go well at some point because you seem like a happy person today. So it didn't carry over.
0: <laughs> oh, good. You can't tell. Perfect.
1: So, so what was it for you, thinking back to your mm-hmm. New York time, um, what was a turning point for you where you were like, okay, I'm kind of getting it. I'm kind of fitting in.
0: Um, I think for me it was – it it, it was realizing that I just needed to immerse myself in all brand new experiences. I think I realized, I don't think I actively realized this at the time. I think this is a like looking back thing, Mm -hmm. but I think I realized that I needed to, um, release a lot of the relationships and a lot of the ways I thought things were going to go and just try new thing after new thing after new thing until I found my people until I found a place where I felt challenged you know and so I ended up um, my happiest time there was I ended up working at a comic book shop St. Mark's Comics um, that one of the best years of my life working there and um, and I ended up meeting some other theater people that were amazing. And I ended up meeting some new improv people that were amazing. And then you all kind of realize you're all doing the same thing. You're all just trying to get better at what you're doing. And it's okay if it doesn't look like the people around you. And it's okay if you're struggling. And it's okay if you're learning. And the most important thing is to find people that you can struggle with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And once I found that, <laughs> it all started to look up.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So when, when did the move to L.A. come?
0: So after only about a year and a half in New York, I moved back to Washington State Okay. Um, for a relationship that did not end up panning out, which is good. Um, <laughs> but then I stayed in Washington for a while. Um, I was main stage at – Ryan Stiles has a theater in Washington State, The Upfront. Okay. So I was main stage there for about two years. Um, and then after two years, I kind of looked around and I realized um, – I was the best person. I was one of the best people in the room. And I think when you realize you're one of the best people in the room, you need to find a different room. Because it was fun and it was great. And I loved the formats that we did. And I loved the packed houses that we had. And I loved the town. Bellingham is one of the best towns in the United States. If you have the chance to visit, go. Um, But I wasn't growing. And so I kind of looked around and I went, well, if I'm going to do this thing, i got to go do it. And at that point, I'd been doing film projects for about a year in Bellingham. They have a really robust film community. Um, a lot of people that have that do it as a hobby, so they have a lot of money to throw into it. So if you're an actor in the area, it's great because you have a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and went, well, I don't want to go back to New York. And at the time, I didn't want to go to Chicago for personal reasons. And so I went, well, I've got a couple good friends in L.A., Why don't I give it a shot? So I moved down to L.A., moved in with Dan Erickson, one of the most brilliant writers in the world, (laughs) signed him. Um, And it was shocking and terrifying, um, but awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And so I first thing I did when I got down there was I signed up for classes at Groundlings um, because Groundlings is my bag physical and vocal humor, Uh um, and they take no prisoners. Um, I think the first class I was in in L.A., I sat down, and my teacher, Jimmy Fowley, goes, cool, none of you in this class will probably ever be a professional groundling. In fact, most of you probably won't finish the program. I don't say that to discourage you. I say it because we're here to make really good improvisers, so... (laughs) anyways uh roll
1: call welcome to class (laughs) yeah right day one day
0: one and i remember sitting there and like half of me was absolutely terrified and was like oh oh god am i gonna be that person Mm -hmm. and then the other half of me was like yes because that's the environment i do well in the environment that sits down and goes okay let's get better Mm -hmm. let's really work at this let's Mm -hmm. really see if you can do this Mm -hmm. and it was terrifying but it was wonderful.
1: Yeah. I mean it, to say that especially to newcomers. One, yeah. that's crazy. Well, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, but two, it's also that's that's a weed out program like immediately mm-hmm. because 99% of people hear that and they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, game over. Okay, I'll do this one class or I'll do the four class or whatever oh, yeah. and I'm am out." But people like you who are like, "Nice, you know. Okay, well, I'm I'm here to prove him wrong, you know?" Mm-hmm. So did did you end up? Wh- what was your groundling story? Did you end up performing there? Or did you just take the classes?
0: Well, so the groundlings program is um, remarkably tough to get through, and it's remarkably tough to get through for a couple reasons. One, if nobody passes basic on their first go around.
1: No. Oh, so they so you can't just sign up for the next level. You have to. Nope,
0: you are, it's a pass fail program.
1: Oh, yeah. oh, that is next yeah. level
0: well because their intent is that and I I appreciate this in a lot of ways and this is one of the things that I like about UCB Second City Groundlings is that they're very different programs Groundlings whole mission is to produce top notch improvisers period they are not interested in ushering everyone through they're not they're not interested in educating everyone and that means the program is not for everyone and that's okay but what they do is that when you get into their program you either pass the class or you don't because they don't want to move you on to the next level if you aren't prepared they don't want to put you in a level two or a level three if you don't have the chops to handle the notes because the notes can get pretty rough (laughs) i definitely had a day where i went home and cried and i'm not a crier after notes but i literally went home and like I had a shot of whiskey and, like, cried and thought I was never going to do comedy again. Um, oh, my God. It was, it, was, it was tough. But their whole point is get out of your own way. Whatever the thing is that's making you not do the thing, if you really want to be an improviser, get out of your own way. And so when you go through their program, like when I took basic, for instance, um, you pass or you fail. Mm-hmm. And I think you get two fails per class before you don't get to continue. Like it's wow. it's a total possibility that you could get to the end of level two, fail it three times, and they go, "Thank you. I think you should find another program." And the wow. other tough part is that there's so many people in LA trying to take classes that it's possible you could pass level one and then not be able to take level two for another six months just because they're so full.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's it's tough.
1: So it's a it, it is a weed out program. Oh, actually. completely. Yeah. So each level how did you how far did you make it
0: i got to level two and then i and then i moved to atlanta um i actually uh i took from jimmy fowley my first level one who he's actually in so uh, jimmy fowley i just have to say this he uh, he's an amazing improviser and he wrote a one-man show based off la la land
1: Oh, my God. So
0: so you know in La La Land how she has a one-woman show, but you never see the one-woman show? Right. Where Jill, well, Jimmy Fowley wrote a drag version of what he imagines that one-woman show to be. <laughs> yeah. And it ran so well in L.A. that they invited him for an off-Broadway run in New York. So he's in New York right now doing Goodbye, Boulder City, his drag version of the one-woman
1: <laughs> yeah. show from La La Land. That's hilarious.
0: Oh, God. He's, he's hilarious. But he... <laughs> (laughs) So I took level one from him, and when I walked in, I said, hey, just so you know, I've been teaching for the last stretch of time, so I'm not student-brained right now. I'm teacher-brained right now. I'm performer-brained. I haven't – fun fact, I had never actually – that Groundlings class was the first class I'd ever taken I didn't take wow. classes at UCB. I took a bunch of workshops, but I had never been in a class program before. Mm-hmm. So I anticipated within myself that I, being student-brained and being teacher-brained is very different. And so after the first class, I sat down with him and said, if it seems to you like I'm teacher-brained and I'm not taking notes or I'm not receiving things well, I want you to know it's because I just came off a of stint teaching, and please help me with that. Um, took basic... Didn't pass, because nobody passes. Um, and then I got, and I was like... And it was one of those moments where you're like, good, I can take this. Mm-hmm. This is great. This is one of those moments where I'm going to take it, and I'm going to be good with it, I'm going <laughs> to take basic again, and I'm going to feel good about this. Life. You know you, you know, you right. you're like talking yourself up in the mirror, right. you're like, this is fine. Um, and he... And I ended up getting a phone call from him the day after class was over, and he said, I'm so sorry. I just feel so bad. I... I'm not supposed to pass you because we don't pass anybody, but you're too technically good and I just would feel bad making you pay for another basics class, so I'm going to pass you on to level two. And of course, I was like, oh, oh, wow, okay, sure, thanks, yeah, that's great, that's great. You know, thank you so much, we talked out the details, I hung up and then did like a I was like, Dan, Dan! And, like, I run downstairs, and we you both had, like, a punch dance out in the living room. <laughs> and you're like, I, but I was going to do the thing. Look at I that. Was prepared. But, of course, none of the level twos were open for another six months. Right. So I signed up for another level one mm-hmm. with another teacher. Mm-hmm. Jay Lay. And it ended up kicking, the class ended up kicking my butt. We ended up having the artistic director come in and teach a class. And to put that into context for you, she walks in the room, goes, because a lot of groundling teachers have to get subs because they're filming a commercial or they're on a TV show or whatever. She walks in the class and goes, great. I don't teach level one. I don't remember how to teach level one. I don't remember how to be polite to people. So we're going to do the exercises I remember. And I'm sorry if my notes are too harsh. (laughs) And sits down and all of us are like.
1: <laughs> this is horror so was, I, you know,
0: and we're all because you don't meet you don't meet her you don't meet her until you get into the top levels, and she only works with people. She only works with improvisers who are currently on TV shows, or right. you know what I mean. It's a. <clears throat> One of the most terrifying classes I've ever taken, the most notes I've ever gotten in a two-hour period, and one of the most educational experiences in my life. Mm-hmm. And a real reminder that with improv is if you can get over feeling embarrassed, you can get insanely better in an insanely short period of time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it was, it was amazing watching people in that class that normally are really bad at taking notes decide to be fine for two hours because she was mean to everybody.
1: Right, might as well. It
0: was terrible. I mean, we all literally went out to lunch afterwards, and it was like quiet for twenty minutes as all of us are just like trying to collect, decompressing from that, (laughs) like pulling together the last shreds of dignity we thought we had of doing a comedy (laughs) career.
1: Um,
0: But it was amazing,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and those are the environments that I thrive in. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does, which is why I think it's so great that there are a bunch of different kinds of programs that people can go through. Because everyone needs different kinds of coaching. Everyone needs different kinds of training. And it's one of the things that I find so admirable about the Atlanta improv community. Is for a city of this size, the amount of theaters that exist and the amount of improv that's going on is insane. Mm -hmm. It's insane.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at Groundlings, you, you, you keep referring that they give you notes. Yeah. Um, what, what are they looking for? What is the number one thing that they're looking for?
0: Be better, suck less, um, <laughs> in a nutshell. Well, the Groundlings, side coaches, that's their style. So you'll be in the middle of a scene. We didn't even get to do scenes for the first month or two um, in Basic. We, they ran us through a bunch of exercises. So Basic is all about learning tactics and learning emotions. So they would run us through a bunch of emotional exercises and a bunch of tactic exercises. And you'd be in the middle of the exercise and Jimmy Fowley would be on the side of the room going, Look at her! Look her in the face! Make eye contact! Why are you doing object work that doesn't involve her? Like, they'd be yelling at you, but the idea was you're not looking at him getting the note. You're staying with your partner in taking his input Mm -hmm. and applying it immediately. And then, of course, you'd sit down after the scene and he'd say, oh, by the way, also, don't do this. Do this. This was great. Don't ever do this again. Mm -hmm. But their whole deal was really active side coaching because the idea was you should be able to intake information from the outside while never leaving your partner, Mm -hmm. which I think is really helpful because when you're in a show or when you're performing, that's what you're doing constantly. You're constantly trying to maintain contact with your partner while taking input from the audience. Mm -hmm. And if you're trained to do that in rehearsal, it comes as second nature when you're doing it with an audience. Because also ideally an audience is not screaming at you to be better. (laughs) Right. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. But Groundlings is mostly looking for, they're looking for emotions on an actual scale of a one to a 10. Because most of us live in the five or six range, or we go to a complete 10, but we don't use our full range. And then they are also looking for really distinct physical choices. So building characters off of tiny ticks, building characters that move in really specific ways, not just two people standing there talking, which can be really funny in of itself. It's just not their style.
1: hmm yeah. Wow, this is so interesting. I never, I never knew anything about yeah. the growlings. I mean, the only thing people know about the growlings is, oh, that's where Will Ferrell was. Yeah, oh, then. that's oh, where Kristen Wiig came exactly. From. Oh, like, great. That's right. where Melissa
0: McCarthy was. Right, exactly. Yeah. But
1: then it's like, man, I can't even imagine what that I, because they had to have gone through the same mm-hmm. verbal beatings that everyone else does at some point in time.
0: Well, and I think. I think the thing is at a certain point as a comedian or as a performer whatever kind of art you're doing whether you're a painter whether you do stitching whether you make shoes whatever the deal is I think there becomes a certain point where you decide either I don't care if I get better at this it's fine if I don't or I want to quit screwing around and I want to be the best at this I can be. Mm -hmm. And I think Groundlings is one of those just just unapologetically goes, We're not here to baby you. We're here to make insanely good insanely good performers. Right. Now again, that's not to say that every good improviser comes out of the groundlings because they don't. There are right. plenty of brilliant performers that come out of other places. But for me that's the style that worked. And that's mm. something I try and really encourage in people that I teach or coach is find what works for you. It does not serve you to be undyingly loyal to a program just because you went through it. I Mm -hmm. knew people that would go through the UCB or the Groundlings program and get so attached to it. Mm -hmm. And I'd look at them and I'd go, I know you love UCB, but you'd be served so much better at Second City. Or I know you went through the Groundlings program, but you would fit so much better with UCB. Mm -hmm. When people kind of get guru status to one school... I think it doesn't serve people because you can learn so much by taking from teachers that you think you might not enjoy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: With connecting with coaches that you're like, we don't do the same style. And then you take from them and you realize, oh, that's a style I'd never known before. That's actually what I really gravitate towards.
1: Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um So when when did you make the decision to come to Atlanta and how was that decision made?
0: Uh, well... Uh, So, long story short, uh, my middle sister was getting married, and her best friend Chloe was there, and uh, we took a picture together, and uh, my current boyfriend, Matt, uh, was best friends with my sister's best friend, uh, and saw the picture, and we realized we were going to be in L.A. at the same time, and he asked to hang out. And at the time, he was flying back and forth between Atlanta and L.A. for film stuff. Uh, He... Pseudo-living in LA, but having a bunch of callbacks in Atlanta for film things. And he <laughs> asked me to meet him at the end of the Santa Monica Pier, which anybody that's been to LA and the end of the Santa Monica Pier knows how much of a pain in the butt that is. Um, he asked me to he asked to meet me by the singer at the end of the pier. And I didn't know it at the time, but there were like twenty singers at the end of the pier. So it's like <laughs> cute. Um, but we met up and hung out for a weekend and had this insanely amazing connection and the original plan was that he was going to move back to LA to live with me and then I found out about the film industry in Atlanta and I found out about how much was happening here and the opportunities here and I told him I'd be happy to check it out Um, but unless it had a robust improv community I I wasn't going to move because improv keeps me sane. Acting is what I do for money as weird as that sounds um <laughs> acting is what i do professionally but improv is what keeps me sane in between those projects mm-hmm. and so matt and i road tripped over to atlanta
1: road trip from la
0: road trip from la well he had to drive his uh he had to drive his truck back
1: oh okay <laughs> so, yeah. i was like that's not a casual <laughs> yeah, like, like, we went and up to fly. chattanooga <laughs> we came back No, that's a big road trip
0: big, it was a big amazing road trip that we made oh god the stories uh so we made it in a truck whose battery was dying
1: oh (laughs) oh no so we
0: go from la to the grand canyon we pull into this like we didn't make it to the campsite we were supposed to pull into we pull into this there's this giant flintstone camping site that like you can tell was around in the 50s and now is like super dilapidated Mm -hmm. everything's made out of cement but it's painted to look like (laughs) that so we pull in dead and night uh we, like, check in. Okay, you can stay at the campsite. Okay, we'll get going. tomorrow. like, go out to the car to turn it on. Car won't start.
1: Car was, like, game over. Like,
0: totally beginning of a horror movie. Because we're, like, 40 miles off the regular highway. Can't really get cell service. Mm-hmm. Super sure we're going to die. <laughs> uh, end up having this insanely amazing night um, with this amazing man named nick whose story for another time but ended up being this amazing evening get on our way but had to make the entire road trip with a battery that anytime we stopped wasn't going to start again without being jumped oh boy so from then on it was like if we wanted to stop the car it either had to be in a populated area which if you've done a road trip across the united states there are certain chunks that are not populated at all Uh, but it was this amazing road trip We drive into Atlanta and he drove us up, um, I think it's on 75 there that has the Cartoon Network sign and that kind of everything. And I was like, oh, you weren't kidding. There's really stuff here. Did some more research, found all the studios that were being built, everything that was being cast out of here and kind of went, okay, but there has to be an improv community. I was good friends with Renee Delafont, who mm-hmm. was still at Dad's at the time. Okay. Um, I had taught with him at an improv camp up in Canada, actually, which is where I also got to meet Karen Cassidy. Oh, okay. Hands down one of the best improvisers I've ever Need seen in my life. Um, kind of talked to Dad's and then, uh, and then saw something at Village Theater and ended up auditioning for Village's program. And I just was blown away by the amount of improv that was in Atlanta. I had thought Dad's Garage was the only thing going on. And the more I found out about how many places there were and how much was going on, I was like, okay, I can do this. Mm-hmm. So moved over from LA, been here for two years, and couldn't be happier. That's I miss the awesome. ocean, I miss the sunshine. <laughs> but couldn't be happier.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I went through a similar thing through the through this show of finding cuz for me I always thought it was dad's garage and then I was like, "Oh, yeah. there's Village Theater, there's High Wire, there's Whole World." And then I start learning about the stand-up community here yeah! and I'm like, "What? You know, where where do they, where are these people?" And then you start learning about the sketch community and the film community. Like it's crazy how really artistic Atlanta mm-hmm. has become. And, it, I mean, it's, it's just getting more and more. Like, the future is going to be crazy.
0: It's I, I, just, I just am constantly blown away by the amount that's happening. I mean, I can't even make it to stand-up shows. I can't make it to – like, there's so much art happening that you can't even see it at all, which, what a great problem to have. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And it's cool, too. I, I mean, I've just – like like i said it's just been so, so so much of a learning experience where i'm like oh this whole world exists and <laughs> i have no idea about it yeah. you know because when you come in you're like okay like we were talking about where you get hooked onto one one place. in yeah. one place so you're like hey this is what it is this is all of atlanta is right here yeah. and then you're like oh you're a member of this theater okay yeah i'll go see a show there and oh, you're sure. like oh this has been here <laughs> how how many years oh decades oh, okay d- oh, cool, cool. all right you know it's it's crazy so you come to atlanta you said you auditioned for the village theater mm-hmm. so what attracted you to the village
0: um well, Kelly Tippins, uh, who's on main stage at Village, she's also a casting director. Um, she saw the first tape I ever sent into Atlanta, and she said, "You should audition for Village." I went, oh, "Okay," <laughs> but what is Village? Because all I'd known is dads, right? Um, people from R- Ryan Styles Theater. We'd sent people down every once in a while to do game shows with them. People knew Renee. I'd taught with Renee. I knew Karen Cassidy, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> wherever Karen is, I want to be because <laughs> she's amazing." Um, But then went to Village, and the thing that I loved about Village is that there's the the opportunity to put together whatever team you want, to try whatever you want, um, and just to really, you have a lot of free reign artistically. And I think that is very similar to other theaters, but the vibe for Village reminded me very much of Ryan Stiles' theater. And I think Baseline If I'm honest with myself, that that was one of the biggest triggers for me is I went, you know, you walk into a space sometimes and you just go, this is right. Mm -hmm. I think I walked into a village and I went, this, this feels right. And I couldn't be more excited because now, you know, a year and a half in, Ryan Archibald is our new artistic director. He taught at Second City and IO in Chicago for 20 years. Um, and we got lucky enough that he decided to make his next home where we are. And so we're kind of going through this crazy phase right now of revamping, changing the run of shows that we have, creating a new sketch program, all this kind of stuff. So it's a really exciting time to be there because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that we're trying and experimenting and pushing ourselves with. And like I said, that's that's where I like to be, mm-hmm. in the middle of all that trying.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, like, like I was telling you in our uh, pre-interview to the interview, uh, <laughs> I you know only recently discovered Village Theater. And when I experienced it, because from where I am at Georgia State, yeah. it's probably a two-minute drive. 3 minute drive. Oh,
0: super close. So, yeah. right,
1: super super close. And I was like, how have I never known that this is here? And that's the thing that that blows my mind and actually I ta- I interviewed a couple episodes back Ian Cavell, oh, who's yeah. the founder of Highwire. Yeah. And we had this whole long talk about um the the market of Georgia state mm. and the student market that's there. Cuz my friends, when you ask them, what are you doing on a Friday night? What are you doing on a Saturday night? The answer is never I'm going to go see a comedy show. You're going to see improv, Even yeah. though it's it's not expensive, mm-hmm. you know, tickets are 5 10 maybe $15, so yeah. it's not expensive, and it's super nearby where you could walk there. So how come that whole, you know, George State Market, that's untapped. Should be that is thing. untapped land yeah. right there. So me and Ian talks about that, but it just made me think of that when you talked about all the new changes that Village is going through with the new mm-hmm. formats and new programs where... I'm excited to see where it grows cuz for me, I mean village has been here for years and years and years, but it's brand new to me. Yeah. So I'm super excited to see where it's going to head and yeah, all the the future <sighs> of the theater.
0: It's going to be kind, it's going to be crazy but awesome. I'm really excited.
1: How many uh improv groups are you a member of in Atlanta? Woof.
0: Uh Let's see. So, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha is one of them that's nearest and dearest to my heart. I think that's the one that you got to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Um, that one was formed by five women who we wanted to challenge ourselves to only do mono scenes with five people. Mm-hmm. Because we really, all of us were really feeling a want for good listening, um, the basis of improv. Um, but we really wanted to sit in something. And so, uh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha was formed. Um, I also get to play with Captain's Log, which is a Star Trek themed show where we basically do an episode of Star Trek that you've never seen before, <laughs> so that gets pretty entertaining. Um, I'm on main stage at Village Theater, so that's typically Friday or Saturday night shows. Um, the last sleepover is Justin Moulton, Ibanez mean, Downtain, and I, and we do a format where we get a location where. <laughs> sleepovers typically wouldn't take place, like a submarine or Ikea or a graveyard. (laughs) And we start with kids doing a sleepover in that place, and then we basically do um, a very loose close quarters in that location. So it's not a close quarters in the sense of the time stamp and everything needing to happen in an exact way, but it's basically just a Mm -hmm. location-themed format. And then... Somebody's going to get mad at me for forgetting a group. Um, one of my favorite groups that formed last year that now no longer exists with Cassidy, uh, Russell actually was a Nancy drew format where we would do a 45 minute long Nancy drew thing for you. Uh, we had two boys playing the Hardy boys and then three girls playing Nancy, Bess and George. And then I would play every single other character that they encountered <laughs> along the way. So the old man or the, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, But those are basically the groups that I'm focusing on right now. And then the main thing I'm doing right now is we have what are called the game games on Friday nights. And it's basically a short form competition format that involves improvised karaoke. And it used to be packaged as the reindeer game. So it was reindeer competing to be able to pull Santa's sleigh. (laughs) Now, it is packaged as a post-apocalyptic, basically, Hunger Games. Ah. So, we've pulled people from the outer districts to compete comedy-wise for you to end up moving on. And mm-hmm. so, I host those games. Okay. So, I'm the host of those every Friday night. And so, we're currently revamping all the language for that because in February, it will roll out for a two- or three-month run. Okay. I think. So, that's the big project I'm working on right now.
1: Okay. But- so, in addition to all that, where, where do you do acting?
0: So, uh, I'm repped at Privileged Talent, um, and I got the chance last year to do quite a few commercial things and, um, a SAG production through Lifetime called Bottle Girl, um, played a nasty villain on that, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then I booked, uh, an upcoming pilot for Sony's Rolling Out Five Pilots, um, Kind of as a con- not as a continuation, but whatever's coming next after their powers series. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see which one gets picked up, but booked one of those and then it's just, you know you audition as much as you can and you see what comes through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I end up doing a lot more commercial work than TV um, and a lot more film work than TV. But okay. 2018 is going to be a good year, I think. It takes a little while for casting directors to get to know you, so mm-hmm. I've taken the last couple years to try and be seen by everybody, and now we'll see what happens.
1: That's super cool. Yeah. So to to talk, I because I want to find out when when you get up on the stage mm-hmm. for an improv scene yeah um when someone says a suggestion when mm. you know, like a location or uh you know like an object or whatever yeah when you hear that word what how do you start thinking or planning the scene uh like oh, okay. what is your what is your process your brain process
0: so my process is very much a to c Um, I, my goal is if, if someone gets up and says, you know, if someone gets up and the suggestion is beach, my goal is we should never actually see a beach, Mm -hmm. right? Um, although it kind of depends, right? If you're doing short form, we want to hit the nail on the head. As far as the suggestion goes, you want to give the audience what they want to see because we have a very short period of time in long form. Maybe we never see a beach until 20 minutes in. And then the audience gets to go,
1: ah, ah we said beach, and they remember. <laughs> the one drunk guy in the back yeah. like, yeah, beach! I said beach, yeah! a, I remember that, I
0: said that.
1: <laughs> Brad, yes.
0: Um, but my goal is to, so so my brain up there, I'm going beach, water, It makes me think of swimming, makes me think of summer, which makes me think of jellyfishes, getting stung, bees also sting you, <gasps> anaphylactic shock. And then maybe I'm going to walk out on stage and go, Mom, I just got stung by a bee and I can't find my EpiPen. Right? You're not going to see where that came from from beach. Right. But if all the improvisers are doing that, then we get a really broad world. Mm -hmm. And then we can kind of do whatever we want. If everybody does a scene at a beach, we kind of don't have a lot.
1: So it's important for you location-wise to have Mm -hmm. a broader world. Yes. Because it's, it, you can pull a lot from that than being constrained.
0: Yeah, if I'm doing a montage type thing. Now, if, if I'm playing with Marsha, 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 the way we work is we get one suggestion. Someone tells a personal story off of that and then we go from there. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the scene, someone else tells a personal story mm-hmm. and we directly relate it back. So I, I think it also depends on the style of show that you're doing. If I'm doing a montage, I want a broad, as broad of a world as possible. If I'm if I'm with the last sleepover, we're going to have a really specific location. But then my brain's going, how many different people could be in this location? So we had one that was a uh, we had one that was a graveyard. So it was okay. Kids in this graveyard. Okay, the old people that tend to this graveyard. Okay. Teenagers in the back corner that, um, teenagers in the back corner that are making out that shouldn't be there. Right. Uh, two ghosts sitting around and talking about why they're stuck there. Two ants that fell into a grave and can't get out. <laughs> right. So right. I think it just for me, I'm always about a to seeing mm-hmm. whether that's a location or a thing or whatever. It's just how can we make this as broad as possible? So then twenty minutes in, we're not going. Oh God, what else do we have to do?
1: Right. Yeah. So what's what's your number one goal when you're in an improv scene?
0: My number one goal when I'm in an improv well, besides scene? Besides,
1: obviously, to make people laugh. Yeah, but, well, or, but, or cry. We'll right, see Right, either way. To feel, yeah. way. <laughs> to feel some type of way. To
0: feel some type of way. My biggest goal is to make my partner look insanely good. Um, I think a lot of times when people are on stage, we get really hung up with, um, oh, no, am I going to be funny? Am I mm. going to think of the next thing that's supposed to happen? And what I find is if, if I put all of my energy into making my partner look really good,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it all works out. Okay. It all works out. Because if you're trying to make your partner look good, you're listening really intently to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You are working your hardest to support them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you're driving the scene forward. Mm-hmm. So that's my biggest focus is whoever I'm on stage with, I never want them to feel like they're out there by themselves. Right. I never want them to feel like Jessica's doing the Jessica show and they're along for the ride. Mm-hmm. I always want them to feel like we're creating something together.
1: Mm-hmm. So listening is very important to you because you mentioned that a lot. Is that from the Groundlings? Is that where you were taught listening? Because uh, we, we we did discuss listening while yeah. we were talking the Groundlings. Is that where that was hammered into you?
0: Groundlings definitely hammers it in. Um, definitely hammers it in because they do not, even in basic, you know how you get up and seen sometime and someone, you know, somebody will say, I can't believe we're at this boathouse again, da, 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 da. And then, a, you know, a minute later, somebody will be like, yeah, we well, at this golf course stop. We already said where we were. Mm -hmm. why don't you know where we were? Well, because you were busy thinking about what you were going to say Mm -hmm. instead of listening to what that person said. Right. Right? Groundlings definitely hammers that in, but I think it got hammered into me the most in college because when you create incredibly narrative formats, everyone has to be really intently focused on driving the same story forward. Mm -hmm. So everyone has to be really intently focused on how can we all bring a brick to build this house Mm -hmm. nobody's walking on stage with a full house by themselves we're all building this together so how can you listen to what was just said and add on to that Mm -hmm. and i think 99 percent of the time if you're honestly listening to your partner you'll be fine Mm -hmm. we trip ourselves up when we're not actually listening when we're Mm -hmm. busy planning when we're busy thinking oh no i have to think of a funny thing to say right you know
1: so I like asking improvisers this uh, because it may, it, it, it's curious to me. Mm-hmm. So when a scene is not going well, mm-hmm. um, as it, you know, it might tanking. not be getting. When it's tanking, tanking, tanking. Right. When yeah. a scene is tanking <laughs> and it's not getting a laugh and you're kind of like in that awkward, you know, it's like, well, I'm stuck, you know. Yeah, what do we do? So what are, what are your keys for saving a sinking for scene? For saving a
0: sinking scene. Uh, two things. Um, for beginning improvisers, I always say don't judge your partner. Mm. Doesn't do anybody any good to judge in the middle of the scene. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter how poorly they're doing, how poorly they're listening. If you decide to stand on stage and go, they're tanking this scene and I'm going to fix it, you're, I'm not sure what I can say on here, but you're now the douchebag. Mm-hmm. You are now the problem. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. You're now the problem. So the biggest thing that I say for people is if you feel like you're in a tanking scene, say exactly how you feel. And I don't mean stand on stage and go... <laughs> Carl, I feel like you're tanking this stuff. Like, don't, don't do that.
1: Uh, you need to do better. Yeah,
0: do better. Could you suck less? Um, no, but when you're on, if we're on stage and we're two people that are in an attic cleaning it out and we're cleaning out grandma's things and it's kind of just not going anywhere because neither of us has an opinion. Mm-hmm. It's fine to stand there and go, I can't clean out this attic because I feel like grandma's still here and I feel awful. I feel awful. This makes me feel awful. I feel disgusting and I feel sad doing this. hmm now we have something.
1: That's so interesting, having an opinion. I've never heard that before. I've never heard have, anybody say that have before. Have an
0: incredibly strong opinion about what you're doing. Because if a scene's tanking, 99% of the time it's because it's because we're waffling with information. It's because we don't really know how we feel about stuff. It's because we're not sure what game we're playing or what the scene's about. Mm-hmm. If you stand there and you say exactly how you're feeling, this makes me angry. This makes me upset. I feel really sad when you do that. Now we have something. Right. Because now you can either decide to, oh, my God, I feel the exact same way. I just feel like we can't clean it up. Either this is going to be a beautiful watershed moment or, or you get to go, oh, that's the most important thing to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you're going to have clean it out you have to clean it out by yourself right you left
1: me to click then you have the game that's where the game starts yep
0: so if you are panicking or if you feel like a scene's tanking or you've been on stage for three minutes and both of you are like we don't know what's going
1: on (laughs)
0: because we've all had that feeling where you're standing on stage and both of you are like i don't know what's happening right you don't know what's happening and now we're both watching the panic in each other's (laughs) eyes. right just say how you feel if you say how you feel you have a jumping off point
1: yeah but that's wow. hard
0: because we don't do that in real life. Mm-hmm. In real life, we do everything we can to avoid saying exactly how we're feeling. Right. So it's hard. That's something you have to train yourself to do mm-hmm. on stage. But you notice, I mean, Cassie Russell's show Rufio, you'll notice they say how they feel. And they say how they feel constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's what moves everything forward. Mm-hmm. Mark Kendall is insanely good at that. He'll just stand on stage and say exactly how he feels. Right. And it's always a good idea, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, because it pushes it forward. Mm-hmm. It, it, I love it. having an opinion. That was like, that. Is, that's going to go in a book someday. Just have an opinion. Just have an opinion. Just have an opinion about what, stuff. What that's do you all? feel like right now? Yeah. Tell me how you feel. <laughs> Yeah, wow. So, thinking back, how many total years have you done improv, if you were to guess? Twelve?
0: Uh, Twelve-ish?
1: 12? Twelve. 12? Twelve-ish years? So, like, in those twelve years mm-hmm. of improv, uh, what's your favorite memory?
0: Oh, wow. Um, I think... Well, it's, it's tough. I have a favorite performance memory and then I have a favorite memory related to him.
1: Okay. Share both. Can you tell both? We got time. We got time. It's America. it's America. It's America. We got all the time we
0: want unless we nuke ourselves. No. <laughs> um, so my favorite performance memory was my freshman year. I'd gotten into dead parrots and I hadn't expected to, um, I, cause you didn't get into dead parrots until like your junior year. Um, but as most things in improv happen, you, you improve when you're not focused on... You improve when you're focused on the work instead of on achieving something. So I'd gotten in, and every year the Dead Parrots did a improvised musical. We had a jazz musician that would come in and play piano, and, and we'd do a musical. And I got to... It was one of the first times my parents had ever gotten to see me do improv. And the title we got was Gas Station romance
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it ended up it ended i still remember the chorus because steve sherman ended up singing gas station coolest thing in the nation and all of us from Dead Parents remember that chorus because it ended up being the chorus for like the baseline song. It's the most annoying thing in the world but it's always stuck. But I ended up playing this super grumpy like 98 year old woman that owned this like older gas station and like didn't want to change. And I ended up there was a point where the, I was always trying to get the protagonist to not do what he wanted to do. I was the evil person. And I ended up entering from the back of the house. And we ended up singing a duet to each other as I came down the aisle. And it was one of those perfect moments where everyone on stage is singing the chorus, too. And, like, you couldn't have predicted it if you wanted to. But it ended up being the best, like, closing number moment of anything I've ever... It was one of those perfect improv moments mm-hmm. that you can't force you can't make happen Mm -hmm. it just did and then nathan cox who i who i did stage combat with which is the only reason this is okay don't ever do this if you haven't taken stage combat (laughs) but nathan cox ended up pretending to deck me and i'm five three and nathan cox is like six four i think pretended to deck me (laughs) And you hear the, the entire audience, even though everybody hated me, the entire audience go, no! And I got to pick up a giant like black acting box and pretend to just take him out with it. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the best ends to a show I've ever been a part of. <laughs> it was completely safe because we all did stage combat. Mm-hmm. Don't do this at home. That's my best performance memory because it's one of those moments that you can't, you can't create, you can't fabricate it, right. you can't. It just happens. My favorite memory related to improv, though, is when I was at Ryan Stiles Theater. Um, I was working at another theater as a ticketing agent, and I had a woman come in who who was like, I oh, you look really familiar, as I'm getting her seat set up, and... I was like, yeah, you might have seen me around town. I did stuff at the Idiom with the upfront. She goes, oh, oh, the upfront. We saw you last Friday. And I was like, Oh yeah, you must have seen the the Hellingham show that I hosted. And she goes, You know, I was there with my daughter. And I went, Oh, that's so cool. She goes, Now my daughter's eight years old. And I went, Oh, okay. And she goes, My daughter's at the stage where it's not okay to play make believe anymore. Like now is the point where you're sh- she's feeling pressured to get into clothing or to get into tv shows or it's it's time to put away your toys and stop playing out in the woods and stop building forts and it's it's you know it's time to grow up or Mm -hmm. whatever and she said that's not us but that's school that's what happens and you know as my heart's breaking inside me i'm like yeah yeah that happens (laughs) and she goes i'm like oh god don't let her do that (laughs) don't don't ever grow up um but she said She's been, it's been really hard for her because she wants to fit in, but she doesn't want to stop playing. And she said, I don't normally do this, but we, my husband and I brought her along to one of the improv shows that you were in. And I said, oh no, last Friday. Cause I'm thinking like, oh God, which one did you watch? <laughs> like, and she said, yeah, last Friday. And in that one I had played like a velociraptor and an old lady and, um, an intelligent gorilla at one point just a bunch of different stuff mm-hmm. and she said we went home and on the way home in the car she said if that lady if that adult lady can keep playing why can't i keep playing and the mom said well i think you can and she goes okay well then i'm gonna tell my friends that i'm i'm gonna be like somebody at the upfront. and i'm like not going to cry thinking about it right now, but it's the best compliment I've ever received because when most people grow up and become adults, we stop trying stuff. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look silly. And we put away the things that make us happy in order to fit in. And we tell ourselves we won't, but we do because it's safer and it's easier And that is the highest compliment I will probably ever receive. I don't care what awards I win eventually for acting, but by showing an eight-year-old that you can grow up to be an adult and still play is the best compliment I will ever receive. And so if I can do that for other people by being stupid and getting up on stage, (laughs) pretending to be a chicken or having highly emotional scenes or whatever the deal is, Mm -hmm. if I can provide that for other people, if that's all that I get out of my improv career for the rest of my life, it will, that's enough.
1: That's awesome. That's enough. That was a fantastic story.
0: Yeah. It's the best compliment I've ever received.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's amazing it really is. That really is. It show, And it shows, I mean, it truly shows the impact that improv and comedy can have on people yes. of all ages.
0: And what I love the most is when you meet improvisers, 90% of them are not actors. Mm-hmm. Most of the people at Dad's or at Village or at Highwire, most of them are not professional actors. Most of them are right. people that have regular day jobs and do this because they love it. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find art forms that are mostly non-professionals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the best things about it is that I get on stage with people that are electrical engineers. I get on stage with people who are teachers. I get on stage with people that are bus drivers, that are janitors. Like, I get on stage with people that that don't do this for a living.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How many other places can you be that bring that crazy different people together all in one room right i think that's i just think that's amazing Mm
1: -hmm. well for sure well i wow i want to end on this note this is (laughs) such like a happy note like to end on improv can Uh, change your
0: life seriously (laughs) do it do it
1: so my last question for you though (laughs) is a question that i ask i ask every single guest Mm. um so every single guest has been asked this since day one (laughs) a one since day one no pressure so uh the question it's very easy Mm -hmm. um kind of so the question is do you have paper you got to get a pen out Oh yeah, have to get a pen out. no i'm just kidding i'm just oh, kidding. God. I'm I'm like just kidding. oh no it's a test <laughs> no yeah no uh <laughs> so if you know if like this this little eight-year-old girl or mm-hmm. if, if if you could give one piece of advice to her or someone who one day wants to be in your shoes mm. what piece of advice would you give
0: don't be afraid to look stupid don't be afraid to look stupid um you continually, Don't be afraid to look stupid and continually try things because there are going to be points in your life where you mess up and you look like an idiot and everybody's laughing at you. You will get over them. Uh-huh. You will get over them. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. Feeling embarrassed is not permanent. Feeling silly is not permanent. Feeling like you're not educated enough is not permanent. So don't be afraid to feel stupid. If you can get over feeling embarrassed about things, you can accomplish Literally anything. That's good. I'm trying, and and don't get me wrong. Like I'm sitting in this chair, being like, I need to apply that more to myself. (laughs) But it's it's continuous. It's a wheel. It's not perfect. But like, if you if you can own the embarrassment, and if you can own feeling silly about things, you can accomplish anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely for sure. Be the Carol Burnett of
0: your own life.
1: Ah, so deep. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) So, uh, Jessica, if people want to see you perform, or they mm-hmm. want to find you, or follow you in your career, how can they find you? Um,
0: so, uh, I was waiting for this till the end. But my two woman show, "Don't Let Go," performs every Saturday nights at the Village Theater at ten thirty. Carrie Petty and I are a physically based uh, troupe. We do. We'll actually be at Georgia Tech tomorrow night doing a fight night. Very cool. We're both stage combat people, so we choreograph a fight with swords and with superhero powers, and the audience gets to pick which fight is going to be incorporated into the improv show that night wow so we do a lot of fight stuff we do a lot of physical stuff that's every saturday night at 10 30 um i host the game games as veffy the very good every friday night at nine um and then just keep an eye out on village theater's page for marsha 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 to pop up or captain's log but It's a good bet that if you're at the Village Theater on a Friday or Saturday night, you'll see me on stage.
1: That's awesome. So
0: come on over. We love to have you. And we also have open jams every Thursday night at 730 and Sunday night at 5. And they are open to anyone that wants to come play. So please come on by.
1: That's awesome yeah. Alright Jessica Well thank you so much For being on the show today Thank you This, this been, was
0: awesome It's this been was, a blast This is great
1: And your house is very nice Oh thank Just you to tell you again I was, The chair you're sitting in Is nice too
0: It makes me look Far more regal Than
1: I think I it's am It's very I'm like in a Like a rolly chair <laughs> <laughs> it's whatever I don't care Whatever um, And to anybody listening Remember you can Find us on our Facebook page At Talking Late Night Where you can like us And uh, leave us a review You can also find us At our website At www. Dot talkinglatenight.com you can also find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review there as well so thanks again for tuning in thanks again to Jessica for being on the show
0: thank you guys
1: and we'll see you next time